Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I'm the producer of the show, David Lally, and I want to congratulate the boss on the success of his brand new book, The Emigrant Edge. It's a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestseller. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, do yourself a favor, get down to your local or online bookstore. It's a fantastic read. In the meantime, here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Today, very special day in our studio. Uh, sitting next to me is not only a legend of the personal development world, but one of my biggest influences and mentors. Brian Tracy is a personal and professional master of the area of self-development and personal growth. And he can speak to it like no other. Throughout his incredible career, he's addressed more than 5,000 audiences, more than 5 million people in talks and seminars throughout the world, and I've certainly attended my share of his presentations. He has studied and researched and spoken about success in, for the past 30 years, and he has a broad range of insight from economics to history to business, philosophy to psychology. And one of my favorite books, The Psychology of Selling, was one of the first books I ever read when I came to the States to get myself going. Brian is an author of over 70 books. Now, having just written a book and released a book, I feel like I delivered a baby. Uh, so how he did 70, I'm not quite sure, but dozens of languages all over the world. And if you ask anyone in the personal development business about Brian Tracy, they will tell you of his influence. I was sharing with Brian a moment ago, I have an award behind me called Standing Upon the Shoulders of Giants. And he is one of the giants and the shoulders I've stood upon for many years. Brian Tracy, thank you for being here today. It is a great honor. Brian, I've been such a fan of yours for so many years. It's a delight to work with you and to be here. A lot of fun, a lot of fun. And I'm excited for those in our audience that know you and love you and have been influenced by you. And I'm also excited for those that, through podcasting, they listen to podcasts as their first inroads to self-development. Yes. And we have hundreds of thousands of people that are going to get introduced to you for the first time today. And that's amazing to me that for so many people it will be the first time, but excited for them to experience you firsthand. We dive in here, and, and again, we're going to talk uh, not only about your insights and what current projects you're working on and so on and so forth, but you know, let's kind of get into the nitty-gritty. I, I want to talk a little bit about where it all started. You know, Many people think you're as American as apple pie and ice cream, but you were actually born in Canada. Is that right? Yes, and of Irish parents. Of Irish parents. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if it gets much better than that, right? The Canadians might be the nicest people on earth, and then having the Irish DNA. I mean, you were bound for greatness. That's yeah. all I got to say. So what was your childhood growing up? Uh, were you loaded with money and everything just handed to you? Yeah, my parents were not that great at parenting. They grew up yeah. in the Depression, yeah. World War II, and so on. So they weren't great parents, and I didn't do well at school. Yeah. I didn't graduate from high school. My uh, first job was washing dishes yeah. in the back of a small hotel, and then I worked in every kind of laboring job in factories and mills. I worked on farms and ranches. I worked in the bush with a chainsaw. Wow. I worked on a ship in the North Atlantic. When I was 23 years old, I was still an itinerant farm laborer. That's uh, someone who works during the harvest. And I, I sometimes joke, when the harvest was over, I was unskilled, uneducated, and unemployed. Uh, at 23, where was that? That was in, uh, I was in Europe at that time. Wow. Working during the harvest. Wow. And uh, What were you harvesting just for? Hops. Wow. Yes. Back to your Irish roots, because you can't yes. make beer without hops. Yes, the Irish hops, especially the German hops. Yeah enable them to make the best beer in the world. Yeah, right, sure. Yeah. Amazing. And so when I couldn't get a laboring job, uh, I got a job in sales. Wow. And basically, they gave me a little brochure, one page, that said, go out and sell it. Knock on doors and ask people to buy it. And What were I, you selling? Well, this time, an entrepreneur put together a bonus card. And what he did is he went to about 100 restaurants, and he got them to give a discount of between 10 and 20%. Sure if they presented this card, which is like a credit card. Yeah. And so you could pay for it in one use if you went out for dinner, and most of these business people did. So it seemed like it'd be a very easy sell. And it cost $20. You pay $20, you go out for dinner that night, and it pays for itself. And then for the rest of history, you can use it and mm. 
give you a fantastic return. You sound like you're still sold on it. I'm, well, I'm looking for it now. <laughs> well, but the, the thing is that nobody would buy it. Right. And I went from place to place, and someone once told me at that time that selling is a not a sales business, it's a rejection business. Mm. So you have to get out there and get rejected more often. <laughs> and so I got rejected, and I worked it out afterwards about 70 times a day. I would work from 8 or 8.30 in the morning till 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Mm. I'd knock on office doors all day long, and then I'd go to homes and apartments in the evenings. And I got it rejected almost 20,000 times in my first year. Wow. And if you calculate it, a person who is really busy going from place to place gets rejected that often. Wow. And after a while, about six months in, I just barely stand alive. There's one guy in our company, and I, I tell this story everywhere. And his name was Pete, and he was selling 10 times as much as anybody else. Mm. And he wasn't even working. He'd start work at 9 or 10 o'clock. He'd quit at 4 or 5. He had a pocket full of $20 bills. He went to restaurants. And he just kind of... So he's working 9 to 4. You're going 8 to 9. <laughs> and he's making 10 times as much. Yeah. So I did something which changed my life. And actually, it's what brought you and I here, changed mm. our lives. Sometimes you have a turning point, a, a revelation, and you don't realize you you have just experience something that can change your whole life. Uh, well, in this case, it took me a little while, and then the, it dawned. I asked him, what are you doing differently from me? And he said, well, show me your sales presentation. How do, how do you sell? What do you say? And I showed him that I really had no idea what I was doing. Mm. And he said, no, no. He said, look, the first thing you do when you meet a prospect is you ask them a question to find out if they're a prospect or a suspect. <laughs> and then you ask them questions to get to know them, to develop rapport, because, and I learned retrospectively, that a person can't buy from you until they like you and trust you, mm -hmm. even if they want your product. Mm -hmm. And then you explain to them, and then you ask them about what they're doing now. You explain to them how your product or service can help them improve their life in a cost-effective way. And then you answer their objections, you close the sale, and then you get referrals and resales mm -hmm. from happy customers. It's a seven-part process which I developed and which I've taught to probably more than two million people face-to-face. -face. Right. And people walk, get up, they walk out of that course, and they increase their income five or ten times Yeah, because they now have a recipe. Right. And it works all the time. It right. works in every culture and language. It works with every product or service. But if you have no recipe... It's like throwing a bunch of random ingredients into a bowl and mixing it up. And, and he, here's the piece to me is that recipe is principle-based. It's based on understanding people, connecting with people, bringing people to a logical conclusion, yeah. finding out their needs, meeting their needs. And people today go, well, that doesn't work because of all the technology. And that doesn't work because of the apps. And that doesn't work because of the online. And the truth of the matter is those principles will be increasing people's sales 500% 100 years from now and 200 years from now and 300. Principles don't change. Tactics do, right? And, the, you know, the Ten Commandments is a bad idea 7,000 years ago to kill your neighbor. And it's still a pretty bad idea today, right? But powerful stuff. And so you, you were there. You're 23 years of age. You're grinding it out. Somebody gives you some influence. The revelation, I'm working on a book now called Turning Points, mm. and it says that in your life you've had a series of turning points that mm -hmm. have made you who you are today, and sometimes you didn't even recognize them right. at the time, and you can create your own. So the turning point for me was he said, you know, here's a simple recipe for selling. So I went out, and instead of talking, which is what we Irish do, we yeah, talk all the time, all the time. <laughs> is I began asking questions and listening and taking notes and making suggestions and trying to help people improve their situation, and they started to buy from me. Yeah. And I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I, I was making th three times as many sales in a day as I'd been making in a week. Yeah. And soon my sales went up and up and up, and I asked him, what, what else can I do? He said, well, how many books have you read on selling? Hmm. I said, are there books on selling? Right. Do you know that 80% of salespeople have never read a book on selling? Yes. Maybe yeah. more. Awesome. And then they came out with the first audio programs. I began to listen to audio programs. Hmm. I would listen to them between calls. I would walk and listen, go in to see the customer, go out and listen. And then I began to attend seminars. Mm. And I still say, those are the three, read, listen, attend seminars. Yeah. You'll save yourself decades of hard work reaching right. the same income level. Instead of making $1, you'll make 10 and What I learned was what I call the law of cause and effect, the Aristotelian law, where he said there's a reason for everything. If you want to achieve a particular goal, you must first be clear about that. And then you must trace it back and find someone else who at one time did not have it, and now they have it, mm. and find out exactly what they did, and do right. the same thing over and over again. Right. 
Oh, from a high school dropout, from a broke person sleeping on the ground when I was in my 20s. You could learn anything you needed to learn to achieve any goal you set for yourself. There, I couldn't believe it. I thought that my destiny was fixed. Mm. My income was fixed. And even worse, I had no education. Yeah. I was a laborer. No, you can learn this stuff. Mm. And so I became so voracious. Up to that time, I was a reader, but I read fiction. Mm. I read books and articles and a lot of history. But now I became just almost insane for self-development. Right. Ideas that can help you to get better results that people will pay you for that can enable you to enjoy a higher standard of living. And there's no limit. There's literally no limit. Even to this day, you get me talking. Oh, no. Subject. I see it in you right now. You're oh. ready to come across the counter at me. <laughs> I, it is wonderful. Yeah. It means you control your whole destiny. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of talk today, and I learned this from Earl Nightingale many years ago. Mm-hmm. A lot of talk today about inequality, income inequality. Yeah. You know, some people earn more than others. Some people earn less than others. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Right. And what I learned and what Earl said is that each person ultimately decides upon their own income by the things that they do and the things that they fail to do, Mm -hmm. by the things that they learn and apply and by the things that they don't learn and apply. So if you're not happy with your particular income, you have chosen that income. Yep. And I had another friend who said it this way. It's almost like you make out your own paycheck every month Mm -hmm. and you cash it. If you're not happy with the number, write a different number. Right. And then go and earn it. We were talking a minute ago about H.L. Hunt, one of the greatest oil billionaires in the world. Yeah. He said, decide exactly what you want, decide exactly what you'll need to do, and then do it over and over again until you achieve it. It's not a miracle. It means that you have unlimited potential. Well, that was 50 years ago that you came to that conclusion, and you are lit up and on fire talking to me today. You can hear it in your voice. It is a liberator. Oh, yes. You know, I'm the son of a house painter, came here with 92 books, right? And I got exposed to people like you. And I said, hang on a second here. This guy, he recorded a program called The Psychology of Success, The Psychology of Selling. I listened to your cassettes until they broke in my car. And rather than buy the new set, I would get the scotch tape out and fix them and whatever else. <laughs> and then when it would go, I go, okay, Brian, you're going to get another 99 or 195 out of me. But I could learn the psychology of success. I learned from the psychology. I'm, I'm a house painter's son. I went to college for a few years to study and learn, but that didn't do anything for me. I can't think of anything I learned in college that has helped me in my business life at all. But I listened to Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar, The Strangest Secret from Errol Nightingale, Think and Grow Rich or Napoleon Hill, Covey, Tice, you name it, I've been there and became a student. And, you know, we talk about that. That really is, in your world, that's really what lit you up. That's what... Created a fire for you. You know, Errol Nightingale was considered the dean of personal growth and development, right? That's the strangest secret and what Nightingale Conant did. I'm sure Nightingale Conant sold your products at one stage, right? Oh, I was their top seller for almost 15 years. Wow. They told me that probably made the company. Wow. Because each of my programs is loaded with practical ideas that you can use to improve your life or work or income. So I would produce the program, like Psychology of Achievement is still my best-selling yeah. program. And it would sell thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, rolled into every conceivable foreign language. Yep. And then I did Psychology of Selling, yep. which became the best-selling sales program on audio in history, mm-hmm. still today. Yep. And, uh, and then Time Management and Psychology of Success. I produced more than 30 audio programs, each of about sixty to 70,000 words. Mm. And each one of them is... If you want to achieve this goal, now do this. Right. And just keep on doing it. Well, you were the guy. Earl was great because he was talking about, you know, hey, you become what you think about. And he was grab a hold of your mind and and get a hold of that. And Zig was the motivation. And Jim was the philosophy, right? So there's a picture on the wall here of the last time they spoke together. Jim and Zig at one of our conferences and you know it was great you know they'd debate back and forward and Zig would talk about motivation and Jim would go that's not enough Zig if you take an idiot and you motivate him now you have a motivated idiot right and those kinds of things it's interesting you talk about the turning point because you came out and spoke for us in Seattle it was at an event entitled the turning point retreat because for 21 years we trained people on turning point your first turning point young struggling guy learned how to sell the $20 item and for three times more in a day than you're making in a week. What was the next turning point that led you down the path to be this speaker, author, writer? Well, there's been a series that I hadn't even thought of until in retrospect. 
But the second major turning point for me, which actually preceded learning the law of cause and effect, was the discovery that I am responsible for my own life. Mm. And self-responsibility, I think, is the sine qua known, without which nothing is possible. Right. And so you look at Stephen Covey's book, and his first chapter is on taking charge, accepting responsibility. It's just Jack Canfield's book, Success Principles, is, mm-hmm. is accept responsibility. My chapter two, accept responsibility, is that you are responsible for your own life. If there's anything in your life that you're not happy about, then it's up to you to change it. Yeah. So then, over time, I said to think, okay, and I stopped making excuses, changed my life. Mm-hmm. The second thing is responsible for what? <laughs> and the answer, these are turning points. The answer was I'm responsible for deciding what I want, mm. my goals, and then making plans to achieve them and then working on them every day. Mm. No one's going to do it for me. Yeah. And so number one, responsibility. Number two, goals. And number yeah. three is you can learn anything you need to learn to achieve any goal you can set for yourself. Yeah. I used to have 150 distributors in the United States and Canada, and I now have that many still today all around the world mm. uh, because the kind of video-based training that we did at that time is just not done anymore, yeah. which is an interesting subject, which we'll come back to. Why? Why aren't people learning the way we did? Mm. I mean, we were animals for learning. No question. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Let me just segue here for a second because this is some gold nuggets you're dropping right here. Right. Self-responsibility. Yes. That's not very popular right now. That might not get you on the daytime talk show today, and it sure as heck won't allow you to have an infomercial. Because people want, and what's being promulgated today is we need the government to do this. Mm. We need the Republicans and the Democrats to do that. We need the news media to do this. We need to recorrect income distribution. We need to recorrect this. Uh, The word entitlement has become to mean something that is provided by the government. I see a creeping sense of entitlement that is like a wave coming across the country that's built out of the generational reflection of people who've made money, been successful, and I don't believe shared with their children and their grandchildren how they became successful. I have six kids, uh, a little younger than yours, who are in high-level competitive sports. And I've seen now entitlement creep into high-level in in sports. report came out last week, 47% higher number of A's in the American education system than 10 years ago, and yet the SATs are down 20%. Because parents are badgering teachers to give my kid an A. So they're getting an A, and they haven't put in the work. The parents are badgering the coaches in these club teams for their kid to get playing time instead of the kid going, I need to work on this, I need to work. My wife's an Olympic volleyball player. The head coach of this team coached at Stanford, the number one volleyball program in the country. He coached at the USA team. And we have 15-year-old girls in total rebellion to this stuff because I'm not getting the playing time I wanted one month into a seven-month or eight-month season. And so rather than work and get better, let me get my mom and dad to go eight bananas on the coaching staff or the bosses. We're pulling out and not paying you anymore unless you change. Yep. And so it's epidemic. I, I, another one, I'll just throw it in here. University of Michigan study, 700 largest companies in America. 38% of them said they've received applications from parents for their children to get a job. 28% have said parents have called them saying, why isn't my child getting paid more? or gotten a promotion. And then 4%, you'll live this, 4% of the company said a young person showed up on an interview and the parent came with them for the job interview. (laughs) So right now we have a sweeping sense of entitlement that's creeping all across the country. It's a silent, deadly killer. You're talking here self-responsibility. Please tell me why that's not a 50-year-old concept and and it's not going to work today. Why is self-responsibility so crucial? Well, if you don't accept responsibility, the opposite is you blame every yep. problem in your life on someone or something mm. else. Yep. And when you blame, you give up control. Mm. You lose control. You actually weaken yourself mm. and you become soft and useless. Yo, wow. It, it's when you accept responsibility with no excuses and no blaming. And you just say these magic words. And I, I've taught these now for 40 years. And people come up to me and say, it changed my life forever. And the words are, I am responsible. Hmm. You see, the greatest obstacle to success, I began to study metaphysics many years ago, mm-hmm. greatest obstacle to success that I discovered is negativity, negative emotions toward yourself and toward others. Hmm. And it's impossible to be negative and to accept responsibility simultaneously. Hmm. 
So you just say, I am responsible. One of the things I used to point out in part of my seminar, I'd say, there are a lot of people who are still angry because of a bad marriage or a relationship that took place. And sometimes they're angry for decades. And sometimes they're so angry that they never have a normal life again. Mm -hmm. They just walk around thinking about that SOB. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you a question. If there's anyone in this audience, Mm -hmm. a very large audience, I say, in a situation like that, who got yourself into the marriage? I mean, Was it at gunpoint? Yeah, and who stayed there after they knew that it wasn't going to work out? Mm -hmm. And uh, who refused to accept responsibility? And there's silence throughout the audience. People yeah. are just silent. I said, the fact is that you may not be 100% responsible for the things that happen. Sure. But if two people don't work out, it's just a matter of incompatibility. It's not a matter of design or somebody got up in the morning and decided to make the other one miserable. You're responsible for your own life. Another thing that I teach over and over, because it's been so helpful to me, is that never worry about things that you cannot change yeah. in life. And you cannot change a past event. Mm. So therefore, one of the most important things in life is you just say, this too shall pass, mm. and never worry about something you can't change. Wow. So if a relationship didn't work out, a job didn't work out, an investment didn't work out, an employee didn't work out, it's not because they are bad or evil or anything else. It just didn't work out. Mm. But it's a past event, and you can't change the past. Mm. The only thing that you can have any influence over is the future. And the way you can influence the future magnificently is to sit down with a piece of paper and write down exactly what you want to accomplish Mm. in the weeks and months, even years ahead, and then work on it every day. So let's segue beautifully, of course, as you would as the master. We go from accepting responsibility. I am responsible. It's magic. Okay, we're a world that is drowning in information and starving for wisdom. And I am so thrilled to have you here today just imparting your wisdom to me and to our audience. It's warm oil on dry skin. It is, it is water on a desert. And I can't thank you enough for being here. I have had 3 million people in our seminars over 21 years write their goals out. I stop every seminar at some point in time and say, here's what we're going to do. Whether it be spiritual, family, business, financial, personal, we're going to set some goals. Sometimes it's 10-day goals. Sometimes it's five-year goals. Sometimes it's 10-month goals. I've tried everything under the sun. You name it, and I know you have too. Just give us your most important insights on goals for somebody. Well, you know, I am the best-selling author in the world on time management. Mm -hmm. And I'm also the best-selling author in the world on goals. Wow. In 28 languages now. Time management, 42 languages. And so I know a lot about the subject because when I stumbled into it back in 1968, because I stumbled over goals, is I felt like I died and gone to heaven, Brian. It's just... So what you do in terms of goals is you have to write them down. Mm -hmm. Now, it's an interesting thing. A, A few years ago, just before the boom ended, there was a popular book on the law of attraction. Yeah. Which is, in the law of attraction, I, I studied it a lot, but the law of attraction was first explained 4,000 years ago in the mystery schools in the Middle East. Mm. And people run around like chickens with their head cut off, as I just discovered yesterday. <laughs> yes! And, and in there the, is nothing new, right? There now, is nothing new under the sun. In my first major seminar, which I gave all over the world, chapter one, part one, was a series of seven mental laws. Mm. And the third or fourth of the mental laws was the law of attraction. Mm. And it's one of, in my seminars, there's something like 101 different laws that apply to different parts of life. Mm. But in terms of psychology, metaphysics, uh, emotions, uh, personal success, there's, there's fewer. So one of the things you have to do is have to write it down. Mm. And so one of the great questions is, what great thing would you dare to dream if you knew you could not fail? Right. And so what I do in my seminars is I'll take out a, a nice pen And I said, I want you to imagine that this is a magic wand Mm. and that I can wave this magic wand over you (laughs) and you can have any goal that you want in life or goals for that matter. You talked about several categories, financial, personal, family, relationships, Mm -hmm. health, and so on. But the one thing you have to do is you have to write it down so clearly that a six-year-old child Mm -hmm. could understand that goal. And the six-year-old could explain it to another six-year-old and the other six-year-old would understand it. Mm. And this comes from Einstein. Einstein said, if you cannot explain your goals to a six-year-old, it means you're really not clear about what you want in life. Right. I'll give you something that happened to me that was, again, a turning point. 
After I'd been speaking for about two years, I got a call from the head of a large national company, which had distributors all over the country, independent distributors, 800, mm-hmm. having an annual meeting. And he said, I'd like you to come and give a keynote talk at this annual meeting on the subject of self-made millionaires, how to become a self-made millionaire. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, because when you're, just like when you're in real estate, you'll take any listing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when, you're, when you're speaking, you'll take any, yep, any subject. I said, sure. And he said, just tell them basic ideas on how they can become millionaires as well. So I hung up the phone. I had two months before this talk. And I realized that all my life, I was now 37, 38, I always wanted to be a millionaire. Hmm. That was our fantasy. You know, someday I want to be a millionaire. In Ireland, you probably want to be a pound millionaire. Yeah, right, absolutely. Today it's a A euro millionaire. Yeah, yeah. a million pounds. And I wasn't any closer after 35 years and working and working and sleeping in ditches and everything else. And I realized I didn't know anything about self-made millionaires. Mm. So I said, all right, I'm going to use this as a test and I'm going to do a full court press on self-made millionaires. And then surprisingly enough, I found there was research and interviews and background checks and 10, 20 year tracking. They had at that time almost a million millionaires in the United States. Wow. And of those, about 80 to 90% were self-made. Start off with nothing. Yeah. So I began to study and read and it, be, it turned out to be such a fascinating subject that countless magazines, articles, books and so on. So I made myself a pseudo-expert on self-made millionaires. Mm. And I got up and I gave that talk. And I called it The 21 Success Secrets of Self-Made Millionaires. Mm. And I gave it to them and they loved the talk, took notes, everything else. And someone asked me to give that talk again. So I did. Mm. And almost like Russell Conwell, yeah, uh, Acres of Diamonds, I started giving that talk everywhere. And they said, well, could you expand it to a half day? And I said, absolutely. Because I was I was actually racing to get through 21 key concepts. And then eventually it was a full day. Yeah, And I began to give it all over the world with, in translation. I began to record it. And within five years, I was a millionaire. Wow. And I hadn't even really thought about it that much. Yeah. I, I was broke at the, when I started. But the more you think about it and talk about it and teach it, you know, you become what you teach. Right. You become what you think about, you become yeah. what you teach. And I've had countless people come back to me, and they say, I just got the CD, and I listened to it a hundred times yeah. over the course of a year or two years. Yeah. And he said, today I'm rich. Yeah. And I've heard that many times. I read, listened to it, and I'm not, now I'm rich. Yeah. I listened to it, because what you're doing is like sort of sitting up to the, your computer, and you're programming your mind right. at an unconscious level to walk, talk, be, do, think the way rich people think. Right. And one of the first things they think about is self-responsibility. And the other part of it is some people have, again, people take good things and turn it into bad things. The law of attraction is a powerful law. But if I sit in the lotus position in my couch at home waiting for a million dollars to attract itself into my life, I'm not going to attract anything into my life, right? Your thing is you got to take responsibility. You go set goals. And then you also have this other element which you go to work on it. Yes. And you, you take it in. And then you take it in and then you apply those things. And that's the real deal. To me, it's, it's sodium and chloride. It's got to be put together. Yes. You've got to put the information in, and then you've got to apply it. You know, just talking about these goals, because you and I are so passionate. You know, I'm a first-generation Irish. You're second-generation Irish, first-generation Canadian. And I can hear it in your voice, and I know people can hear it in your voice, the sheer joy of the day the light bulbs got turned on and self-development meant you could self-direct your career, yes. that you could live in the land of opportunity and build yourself a fortune and become who you wanted to be and how you wanted to live. We're talking about our daughters being in horses. Those horses cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and we've been able to provide those kids those opportunities without creating entitlement because we got into self-development. And, you know, neither one of us, you know, I don't know about you, I wasn't the smartest guy in my class, right? Lou Holtz used to say I was in the bottom half of the class. If it wasn't for me, there wouldn't be a top half, right? <laughs> yeah. So self-development, goals became crucial to you. The first day I ever wrote a goal my life changed. Yes, yes. And then what happened within 90 days, I had written a series of goals. The second part of my life changed when I was checking boxes. Yes. And things I thought that would take a year took 90 days. Yes. And all of a sudden, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm sure people are starving here. You have created so much great stuff over the years. 
And you've now, you, so many of your resources you make available for download and things like that. It's unbelievable. You know, what could folks do to take another step with goals that would be something they could uh, grow in? Well, what I would suggest is that they come to your website and download the program, the uh, 21 Success Secrets of Self-Made Millionaires, because that's part of it. It's one of the 21 keys. Just as a quick aside, people say, and I've written 300-page books on goal setting, but here's three things you can do which will change your life. Mm. I promise you. Number one, decide exactly what you want and write it down. And write it in the present tense as though you've already achieved it. I earn X number of dollars a year. Mm. I have a net worth of X number of dollars. I weigh X number of pounds. Write it down as though it's a fact because you and I were talking about the law of attraction. The law of attraction only works if you give instructions to your subconscious mind in a particular, like you could almost say, database language. Mm -hmm. The subconscious mind can only accept commands that are in the present tense. Mm -hmm. If you say, I will earn, I will be, it cannot accept a future. And it cannot accept a negative. Is I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit smoking. Double. It's a future and it's a negative. Mm -hmm. So what you say is, I am a Mm non-smoker. I am a self-made millionaire. And at the first time you say this, you'll feel strange. It will sound strange because it's so alien to anything else. But as you repeat it, what happens is your subconscious mind goes through what psychologists call cognitive dissonance, Mm. which is you are saying something that your subconscious mind knows based on your current reality is not true. So your subconscious mind kicks it back out, almost like rejecting an organ in Mm. transplant. But if you keep saying it, your subconscious mind becomes weaker almost like a boxer that just gets weaker and weaker round after round. And pretty soon, your subconscious mind comes to believe that you are wealthy. You do earn a million dollars a year. You are the top person in your office. And it starts to come true because you start to attract into your life people and circumstances and opportunities that that would never have been there unless you keep programming them in. And you can't just do it one time. Sometimes you can. Yeah. Sometimes you can. So coming back to this formula... Write down the one goal that you would like more than anything else in life. And if it's a financial goal, usually a financial goal will enable you to get everything else. Sure. Yeah. yeah a lot so, of times. so you always pick a goal that will help you to achieve more of your other goals than anything else. And I put my people through this exercise. Write down 10 goals that you'd like to achieve. And then go over that list and imagine that you could have all of these goals sooner or later because you wrote them down. It's very hard to achieve anything that you haven't written down. Yeah that a six-year-old child couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. And then you ask, imagine you could have all of these goals sooner or later, but you could have one within 24 hours. Okay. So go over your list and pick the one goal that if you could have that within 24 hours, it would have the greatest positive impact on your life. Mm-hmm. And probably 80% of the time it will be material or financial, but it could be a health goal, a relationship goal, right. a business goal. And then... Make a list of everything you could think of to do to achieve that goal and then work on it every day. Mm. The interesting thing is that you can work on 10 or 15 goals at a time, but you always have one big goal. Napoleon Hill mm. said each person's life begins to become great when they select one big goal to work on. Mm. So you can work on lots of goals, but you must have one and you must do something that moves you toward it every day. Right. And this is what activates the law of attraction and a whole series of other laws that starts you moving toward the goal and the goal moving toward you. Right. It starts you seeing people, opportunities. You notice something in the paper or in a magazine that you would never have noticed, but it's in harmony with the goal. Right. Uh, you, somebody will say, have you read this book? You say, no. Well, it just came out and it's really good and you've never heard of it. But you say, well, I respect my friend's judgment. You just buy it. Hmm. And that's a wonderful thing about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. Yeah. Because I can order the books as I'm sitting here in front of you, yeah. and it'll be at home when I get there. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that book may have one observation that changes your life forever. Yeah. And the other dynamic becomes, and this is where the law of attraction becomes the law of doing, which is, okay, let's say I've helped people who are in debt. I go, I'm a debt-free person. Yes. I'm a debt-free person. Well, when you're a debt-free person, you make decisions going forward that people who are in debt don't make. Maybe 25 years ago, my brother Kevin had a little condo, and he takes in one of his buddies as a roommate. And because he's his buddy, and they're young, and his buddy's kind of not doing real well, and next thing you know, he's not paying his rent. And then he doesn't pay his rent another month, and my brother doesn't want to put pressure on him and whatever else. Well, I walk into the house one day, and his buddy has three new pairs of jeans sitting on the couch. And I go, man, what, what are you doing? 
And he goes, wow, look, I mean, I, I go, you can't afford to pay my brother rent, but you're in here with three new pairs of jeans. He goes, well, I can't afford the rent. You know, I, I need to do something for myself. I'm down. I'm, I'm, I, want, I need to do something. And so he, so he spent whatever at the time, wasn't maybe 60 or 70 bucks on the jeans, yeah. right? But a debt-free person wouldn't make that decision. No. A debt-free person makes the right decision. So when you write these things down and you affirm and you write them in the present tense, it starts to affect your thinking, yes. which then affects your actions. And then you start acting like that person. You know, I, people who are really struggling health, I go, I'm healthy and filled with energy. Well, when you're 40 pounds overweight, uh, one more piece of pizza is not going to... And, and they're probably right. It's not going to make a big difference, except that it does every single day, right? So, But when you're healthy and filled with energy, well, I'm not going to eat that piece of pizza because I'm healthy and filled with energy. And, and then, uh, you know, I'm going to go walk instead of watch the TV because I'm healthy and filled with energy, and it feeds itself. Isn't that true? Yes, absolutely. And the wonderful thing, I stumbled across this many years ago, and I've read more than 6,000 books on this subject and more than 100,000 articles. Plus, I've taken four or 5,000 hours at, uh, in an MBA program at a major university and listened to thousands of hours. Anyway, uh, one of the things I learned is that there's only one thing in life that you can control, and that is your own thinking. Mm. And fortunately, God has designed us so that if you'll just do that, yeah. everything else will follow. It does. And here's the difference. This podcast was developed to bring mindsets, motivation, and methodologies to people. And it was all about people who've been there and done that. Today, people are on The Apprentice on Tuesday, and their book comes out on Thursday. <laughs> and, and the world we live in today, it's kind of extraordinary. And it doesn't mean I can't learn from those people. Today, I had a person in my office who was making a decision. We were walking to the bathroom, and there was a gentleman asking me advice about buying a condo, right? My staff will always come and ask me these questions. And this young person had this blog they were reading about buying real estate. And geez, they were in escrow, and they were getting ready to close on their first house, and they were so excited and marvelous. And then this guy goes, worst investment you ever make, da-da-da-da-dum, it's a loser, you know, the days of owning real estate's over, da-da-da-da-dum. And they were shook, and they were nervous, and they were scared, and oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of this decision, and I feel like I've, I've made a terrible decision, and this really sharp blogger over here, and I go, okay, well, let's stop, stop. And I walked him into my office, let's, let's research who this person is. And no offense, they're 26 years of age, they were a writer for some news organization. I started researching, researching, kept digging, kept digging. And they don't own a house. They're 26 years of age. They're still learning. You know, nothing wrong with that. You brilliant people. You know, Michelangelo was 23 when he created the Pieta, right? I mean, there's some brilliant things that have been done by young people. I'm not negating that. But be careful taking long-term financial advice from the 26-year-old who's never owned a home you might want to talk to the 65-year-old that's owned 15 homes who can tell you, well, here's where I made money and here's where I lost money, right? What did your mother say? Yeah, what did your mother say, right? Consider the source. Yeah, Consider right? the source. Right, consider the source. And, and so I was telling you this before we started recording today of when I became your guy. And I went to a Brian Tracy seminar 27 years ago in San Francisco. And I didn't know you lived in San Diego at the time. And I was flying home that night... And I was just starting out, so I couldn't afford a first-class ticket. But somehow, I don't know if I turned a charm on, a little Irish accent, whatever else, the gal at the counter says, you're going to fly home first-class tonight. And so I just went to the Brian Tracy seminar. I'm sitting in first-class, first time in my life. And next thing you know, I look across the aisle, and Brian Tracy is sitting across the aisle. And I, I'm the kind of guy, I never came over and said hello to you. I never would. I would leave people alone. That's very Irish way. A lot of successful people have a home in Ireland because we leave you alone. But after the seminar, after speaking on stage for a couple of days, I watched you take out a workbook and a set of headphones and listening to a course on learning how to speak German. And you'd been on stage that day saying, I think it's valuable to learn other languages. And you said, I'm going to give seminars in other countries and other languages one day, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this. And here I was watching it, and I remember coming away going, okay, he's doing it. And, and what it did for me is it made everything you taught so much more credible and valuable, and I took it so far to heart. And I know that was a little gift from God for me because it didn't allow any subconscious cynicism or skepticism to creep in. I go, okay. You know, integrity is what happens when nobody's watching, right? Yeah. And you're talking about this stuff, and you're saying, I've read 6,000 books and whatever else. Here's the thing, and I want the audience to know. That's true. <laughs> Those aren't just some little traity things. There's a lot of people make a lot of claims, but then there's people who've been there and done that. And I, like I say, drowning information, we're starving for wisdom. That's why I'm so 
thrilled to have you here today. The third thing you touched on, you talked about self-responsibility, and I am responsible. You talked about goals, and you're a master at that. Then something that I, I really feel that is, when I think of you, I think of this third point you mentioned, and that is learn anything you need, that you can learn anything you need to succeed. And it seems to me that you have lived an amazing life by becoming a lifelong learner and then been so enthusiastic to bring that information that you've distilled to other people. Talk to me about learning anything you need to succeed. This is the great liberator. I didn't understand it until I looked at the research, and the research shows that the majority of people believe that their situation in life is fixed, Mm. as we said earlier. And so, therefore, they have a certain level of intelligence, a certain level of earning ability, uh, a certain level of attractiveness to members of the opposite sex, and so on, and it's fixed. No, it's not fixed. It's completely fluid, and you can change it at any time. And this, to me, was astonishing. So I got into real estate development many years ago, and I moved 800 miles to a brand new city, and I was starting over. And Where I had, was that, by the way? This is in Canada. Wow. I moved from Vancouver to Edmonton. Oh, yeah. And because Alberta was growing because of the oil at that time. Mm. But I had no money. I had a, a used car, a Volvo, and I rented a small apartment, and I rented furniture. And then I had heard that people, just sort of like Russell Connell, mm-hmm. Acres of Diamonds, I had heard that people made money by buying and developing real estate. So I didn't know anything about the subject, but by this time I knew that you could learn anything. So I went to the library. I checked out 11 books on how to become successful in real estate, written by people who really knew, wealthy people. Mm. And I read those books while other people were out socializing. I read those books hour after hour and wrote and took notes. And then I began looking for a piece of property that was on the right roadways and that was in the path of growth and commercial purchasing. And then I found a shopping center. And it wasn't a shopping center. It was a mobile home park. Mm. And it had started 20, 25 years ago. And this town had grown up around it. And I said, this would be a perfect shopping center. Because according to the books, there's yeah. so I went and I met and, and formed a friendship with the owners, a couple of very simple farm people who had turned their farm into a mobile home park. And I said, would you like to sell it? And they said, well, what would we do with it? So we talked about how what it was worth, and it was worth about $500,000, the land. And that if you took this and you bought uh, another park, which they had always dreamt of doing in a faraway city, then you would have a steady stream of income for the rest of your life. You never have to work again. Mm. And so we went back and forth and performed almost like a father-mother-child mm-hmm. bond. And they agreed to sell me the real estate, but I had a problem. I didn't have any money. And they, So you had skills. You read the yeah. books. You figured out what you needed to do. You identified the property. You built the relationship. So brilliant stuff, and now you're missing one piece. Yeah, and so, and so they had a lawyer. I still remember him very well that sort of handled their legal work. And they said, please go and see him about drawing up an agreement. So I went to see him, and he looked into it, and he said, Brian, he said, this is the best thing that could ever happen to these people. He's been their lawyer for 20 years. He said, do everything possible to buy this property from them. And he said, I'll drop an agreement, but you have to make a down payment. And I said, well, I don't have any money. And he said, I'll give you 30 days to close on this property for $150 down. Jeez. $150. So I said, great, I'll give you the check, but please don't cash it. <laughs> because, because Mr. Of, commercial Developer, <laughs> yeah. I don't have 150 clams. That's awesome. So I put together a proposal. First of all, I looked and I said, how do you build a piece of property if you have no money? Well, you go to the book. And the books will tell you, if you don't have any money, there's the different ways that you could do a workaround so you can get started. So I put together a proposal. What you have to do is you have to have tenants. So I went out, and I got two tenants, the biggest Safeway and uh, and a liquor store. Wow. Uh, So you have groceries and liquor, which is high traffic. That's great. Anchors and restaurants, and I, I got the entire property. I worked with a friend of mine who was a builder, and he got me on spec. He got me an architect who laid it out. Wow. And then I went out and I got tenants. And I went to somebody else. So, now let me just stop the story here. The same skill selling the $20 card that suddenly 
you know, helped, you were selling three times in a day, which you were selling a week, those same skills now were used because your today builds on your tomorrow and, and what you did in the past. Now those skills you were using to go and promote your own deal, to go sell people on a vision that they could have their store in the development you were going to build. Yeah, and I just knew that you just never stopped. Right. So I was out all day. I went to, I visited people who knew people who knew people who had uh, developed properties who had tendencies with the major clients I was negotiating with, and they wanted to eat me alive. Oh, yeah. So they gave me the contracts that they had written up with these people. Wow. And I went back, and I demanded all the things that they had Jeez. given in this contract. And the, the, the tenants, the, especially the people from Safeway, the national leasing managers, wow. they just wanted to shaft me completely. And I went back and forth and back and forth and back. And anyway, so I got a, a beautiful lease agreement. Yeah. And then the liquor store said, well, if they're going to locate then we'll locate. Yeah. It was a big liquor store. And then all the other tenants. And so I took this proposal, at least everything that's in the books. Mm. I took the proposal to a major developer after a major developer. And on the 27th, 28th day, mm. I ran into a developer, very successful, very smart. And I said, I've got this complete shopping center put together. And he said, well, show it to my lawyer. Mm. I still remember it. And if he thinks it's a good deal... We will come in and we will pay 100% of the money necessary to develop the shopping center, and we will leave you a 25% carried interest in it. Wow. And he did, and we did. And we built the shopping center, leased it out completely within 12 months, and it's still operating today. Wow. And I got 25%, which at that time turned out to be, for me, about $100,000. Wow. It was the biggest hit I ever made in my whole life. $150 down payment that you didn't quite have. Yeah. Turned into $100,000. What year was that? Can you remember? That was 1977. 1977. $100,000 was a ransom. Yes, it was. And people say, well, how did you do that when you had no experience in real estate? I said, I just read the books. Well, people will say, Brian, that you were lucky. <laughs> right? I worked day and night. I traveled <laughs> right. all over eastern, western Canada. I begged. I sat in waiting rooms and everything else. And people looked at my proposal and turned me down and turned me yeah. down. But rejection is not something You were used to getting rejected 70 times a day for $20. <laughs> yeah, so right. guess what? And that's what I believe. You know, my mother used to say, God wastes nothing. And there's many people who viewed there's things in their past that actually are their fire and their fuel for their future. And you fought through it, and you grew through it, and you learned through it. And you went to college selling a $20 you know, card that turned into your graduation gift in 1977. Yeah. And the harder you worked, the luckier you got. Yeah. Like, here's an example. I had never been on a private plane. I didn't know anybody with a private plane. I was like you. When I started speaking and traveling, I was traveling all over the world, mostly U.S. and Canada. But, you know, and it was planes, trains, and automobiles, which people don't know is the life of a speaker. We see kitchens and dumpsters at the back of convention centers, right? <laughs> we see a lot of hotel rooms and, and a lot of airports. But in 2001, when September 11th happened, I was like, hold on a second here. This is very negative. I have this business I've built up with 400 employees that has this and that and the other that requires me to be in certain places at certain times. And now all of a sudden I had this variable with regards to travel. My demands were picking up and so on and so forth. And I went, I know what I need to do. And the, the dot-com boom had just ended and the bubble had burst. And, and I'm like, I need to get my own plane. And in September 11, 2001, I'd never been on a private plane. But I went about learning. And again, here I am, an average student, yada, yada. But over the next 90 days, I learned about reverse thrusters and TCAS collision avoidance systems and ailerons and everything you needed to know about how a jet worked, what were the features that were important, what a good price was, da 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 And I went and negotiated with Bombardier, a Canadian company, and I bought my first Learjet. And I negotiated a deal that had a buyback provision that they had to buy it back at 90% of what I was buying for if I upgraded with them, of this and that, all these different things, that when I bought that airplane, six months later, they changed the contracts forever because they'd been negotiated with in such a way. Now, I'm not saying that to self-aggrandize myself. I'm saying that I knew Jack Cheese about it. The people that were buying planes, the one guy who saw me the plane, he goes, nobody negotiates like this. Nobody does this. I go, well, give me an example. He goes, well, State Farm bought six of these last month. And I go, how'd it work? He said, well, we put a cute flight attendant on there. We served some nice food. They said, here's what Allstate paid. And they go, well, great, give me six of those. And I go, the difference between me and that guy who's the chief financial officer for a company is 
I am paying with my own money. Yes. I'm grinding my lights out here. I'm trying to keep my business open. And I'm a father of six who wants to go to Houston in the morning and be home at dinner at 5 o'clock. And it was out of that need and out of that drive. I went and learned everything there was to know about yes. private aviation jets and negotiate the deal. And again, if you'd have told me, you know, I could know anything about that. I'm not a very technical person. You know, I, years since I ever looked underneath the hood of my own car. But I learned what I needed out of the need and negotiated a deal on a jet, which set me up for the next one and the next one and the next one. So you can learn anything. Now, I always think about you in regards to this. One of the things you opened up my mind to was the idea of reinvesting in myself. And I never really understood the concept because I always used to consider it an expense. And I think, and I'll just speak autobiographically, I think for myself, but for most people, the idea of spending money on yourself, you have to value yourself to spend money on yourself. Right? And I, the thought of, I remember spending a couple hundred dollars to go to your seminar. This is a lot of money. It's an expense. Because I didn't realize for many, many years that, oh my gosh, I'm the greatest asset my business possesses. And if I make the strongest asset stronger, you know, I've turned thousand dollars investments into your seminar into millions of dollars in return. But I didn't understand that at the time. You have talked a lot about this and you've studied this research more than anybody I know. You can learn anything you need. Talk about the importance of why investing in yourself is so critical and what can happen for a person who does read and listen and watch and go to the seminars and do that. Talk about that. Well, this is a subject I know a lot about. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is that you become on the outside what you believe about yourself on the inside. Mm. If you believe that you're a good person, that you are going to be a big success, that's going to become true for you. That's the way you will see the world. You'll see the world in terms of opportunities and possibilities and things like that. But if you don't believe that, then nothing good will ever happen to you. It's like sitting and looking at a, an empty field and never planting any seeds. So here's an analogy. Imagine you came to me and you say, uh, Brian, I've got a great investment for you, this company, and I think it's going to be very successful. Here's all the material. Here's the information. Would you like to invest? And I look it all over and I come back to you and I say, well, thank you very much for thinking about me, but I'm going to pass. I'm not going to invest in this. I don't uh, think it's a good idea. So what am I really saying? Well, what I'm really saying is that uh, this is not a good investment. This company is a loser. And so simultaneously, if someone says, here's a book you should read, audio program, seminar, and so on, and you say, no, I'm not going to invest in myself. What you're saying is that I have no future. So I'm not going to waste money investing in myself. A person has no future because it's a waste of time and money. And 80% of the population feels like that. 80% of the population feels that investing in themselves is of no value. But what it was is that when you invest in yourself, your belief system changes. Mm. Sometimes just a single book, I've had tens of thousands of people who have read a single book of mine and it changed their lives forever. Mm. The book opened their eyes to what was possible for mm. them. And then they just did a little thing. Write down your goals. Yes, pick your most important goal. Work on it every day and see what happens because that's life-transforming. And if you've never had the experience before and you do it just once, you could become a different person. Right. And so if you invest in yourself, it means this is a good stock. This person is mm -hmm. going somewhere. Yeah. If you don't invest in yourself, you have unconsciously decided that you personally have no future. Now, we're going to talk about the success habits of millionaires and billionaires before we finish here today. One of the success habits that you've talked about about millionaires and billionaires is how much they actually do reinvest in themselves, right? And the, the science and the, the data on it's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's amazing. I'll give you a very simple example. I was at a seminar in Baltimore, I still remember, and this nice young guy, about 30 years old, well-dressed, obviously doing well, came up to me and he said, you know, I t attended your seminar 10 years ago, and you don't remember me, but he said, but at that time, I had no money. I was living at home with my mother at a used car and I had to borrow money to come to your seminar. And in this seminar, you told me to invest 3% of my income back into myself and it would pay off double, triple, quadruple over time. And I'd never heard this idea of investing in myself right. before. So I'm, it's a wonderful story. He said, so I decided, I came up to you and asked you this question, is that 3% of your goal for the next year or your income for the last year? It's a great question, isn't it? Yeah. I said, well, go for broke. Set 3% of your income for the next year. What was his income? $20,000. Mm. 
3% of that was $600. That was his goal, $20,000. So he invested $600. He bought a couple of audio programs. He bought a couple of books. He went to uh, one seminar. And his income went from twenty dollars to $30,000 that year. And he could track it because it was doing the things that he had learned and doing them more and doing them more efficiently. And so he invested 3% more. Now it's 30000 It's $900. Right. And that year, his income went up to $50,000. And he could track it just from everything that he had learned and applied. And so he kept 3%, and his income went to $100,000. And he said, well, if 3% works well, I wonder what 5% would do. So the following year, he invested 5%. His income went to $250,000. And he started to invest in himself. He went to courses. He traveled across the country. He hired an image consultant Mm -hmm. to show him how to dress properly. He learned how to speak effectively. Mm. He just invested. And his house kept getting larger and larger. (laughs) And he said, so it's been 10 years since I first heard you. And I said, well, May I ask how much are you earning today? He said, I passed a million dollars this year. Mm. I passed a million dollars this year, and there was almost no effort to it. Mm. I just learned and practiced what I learned. And so now he's probably spending 50 grand a year on development and growth and coaching and this and any other, which is easier than the commitment he made initially for the 600 bucks. When you're making 20 grand, 600 bucks is a ton. But as a farmer, you have to plant seeds before you harvest. Our world today of instant gratification, people want, they want the harvest before they plant the seed, or they want the <laughs> harvest and they want to plant the seeds simultaneously. Yeah. And so the bottom line is you asked him a, in a, a hockey analogy to skate where the puck was going, yeah. not to focus on where it was. And when you're making a million bucks a year, it's easy to spend 50 grand on self-development and you're doing well. But his courage was exhibited when he put the first 600 bucks to work, wasn't it? And I asked him that question. How much are you investing in yourself? He said, I've got it up to 10% per year now. Wow. I said, how on earth can you invest $100,000 a year in continuous learning? He said, it's hard. He said, <laughs> you have to start off with a schedule in January. Mm. And you have to begin working on spending that money. Wow. But everything I spend, I get 2 3 4 $5 back yeah. in increased income. And here's the thing. When somebody comes to you, and I can imagine in the last 50 years how many people have come to you with business proposals. I get them all the time. And they go, I, this has got a 300% return, or this is a 500% return. Usually, it's a really goofy idea, right? Yes. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> Okay, you know, this is going to be nuts. You know, I mean, you know, we both live in an area over here near Del Mar where the, you know, the Del Mar Fair is and they have deep fried Oreo cookies. Now, here's the thing. That's a nuts old idea, but it works at a fair, right? People come along with these business proposals all the time that are just bat nuts crazy that are, you know, I mean, you like this thing has a, it it doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but the chances are remote. And yet 500% return is a pretty basic rate of return in self-development. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right? It's not the Dalmar Fair. It's not something crazy. Somebody came along to you and says, I'm going to invest a thousand bucks with you. And and you go, oh, they made $5,000 more. You'd be pretty disappointed, wouldn't you? Yeah. Right? I mean, you'd be like, I failed you. That's how I would feel. Our average client comes to us in the real estate space, right? Which is still 80% of our business. We have 20,000 small business owners we coach, right? In real estate, it's about 70, 75% of our people, real estate lending. The average client comes to us making $30,900. Our average coach client makes $368,000. I was telling you, you know, they've been with us 15, 17, 20 years. Well, that's it. It's not just they like the Irish accent. They like the fact they're making three hundred and fifty grand a year as opposed to making thirty. The thing about it is, is that they're investing in the one sure thing you know of. Yes. <laughs> right? And it's like, if you invest in a stock... You have to believe in the company. Is it fundamental? Is the management honest? Are they capable? Does it have untapped potential so it has an upside? Well, here's what we know about ourselves. We have a bunch of untapped potential. And when we invest in that, okay, we're not going to cheat ourselves so the management's honest. We know that we can learn more so the company can improve and become more fundamentally sound. I mean, at the end of the day, you and I are the greatest stock we are ever going to come in contact with. Absolutely. And once we invest in ourselves as a stock, we have total control over the stock. Mm. We control everything that happens to that company from the first minute in the morning to the end of the day. If you invest in anything else, no matter how good it is, there's always a very high probability that it will not pay back that much or not pay back at all or 
may take a long, long time, but if you invest in yourself, you control it 100%. Well, you and I could speak for about 14 days here, I and it's. So. Uh, I, I hope you're enjoying it, but I, I have just been blessed here today. This has been such a fantastic time. I have pages and pages of notes. I hope you guys do. We're going to turn this into a two-part series. There's just too much good stuff here to pass up on. So next week, we're going to continue the conversation, Brian, and get into your new book, which we're excited about. In the meantime, folks, I want to leave you with a little Irish blessing that we always do. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.